Amen, amen. How many, um, crazy question, how many of you folks here, you right there, you can say this, how many folks here on, would consider yourself a, a New Orleans Saints fan? Anybody in here consider yourself kind of like, so, <laughs> John 316 back there is definitely a music. I, I would ask if he was an LSU fan, but uh, amen. He's got John 316 on one side and LSU on the other side. Amen. Amen. John 316 is bigger on his shirt. Now, undoubtedly, if you guys are being raised in Texas uh, and being, do I dare say, you know, people being cowboy fans there, I'm just a fan of Jesus myself. So, you know, he always wins. Now, What's funny about fans of particular teams that unless you're a fair weather fan, we know Saints fans aren't fair weather fans. You know, they just put sacks on their heads when things are going bad, but they're still in the stadium. <laughs> They'll stick with you. But have you ever noticed when you're a fan of something, you find yourself just supporting that? Now, what was it two? What was it two years ago now? Three years ago that the Saints won the Super Bowl. Then they had a real good season the next year, but they came up short in the playoffs or something like that. Then, then last year with that bounty gate or whatever, you know, it just things went south in the year that they were hoping to be the home team in, in the Super Bowl. But you know what? You still don't say anything about the Saints, man. I tell you what, people will string you up in these parts. <laughs> they will. They'll defend them to the hilt. I mean, really. But once somebody gets cut and they're playing for another team, that guy that used to be the best thing since last bread, now he ain't no good. He's just sorry and glad he got rid of him. You ever notice that? Because once he's got another uniform on, it didn't matter what he did last year. Yep, I knew it. He's a turnco. He's the devil. I mean, it's just it's a crazy thing. Now, you can say something about Drew Brees, but man, people will defend that guy. They really will defend him before they'll defend Jesus Christ half the time. It's, it's the craziest thing. Now, now, folks, when a sports team loses, it's, it's kind of funny to me that man, people are still just, you know, guts and glory. We're still defending that. It, 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 what's, what's interesting to me is, is many times people are more passionate about defending their local sports team or whatever than they are about defending the Word of God. Yeah. It's funny because we'll, we'll, we'll put up with more in regards to sports teams than we'll put up with in regards to the Word of God. You'll see where I'm going with that just in a minute. But we're in the, our, continuing our study in the epistle of 1 John and Caprice. Da, 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 week number double deuce. Amen. Two, two. And tonight, if you're writing a heading on that, what we're going to be talking about is I write these things to you because you know the truth. I write these things to you because you know the truth. If I did a survey in this room, you know, and knowing I could do the survey, and know many of you guys have, have walked with the Lord for years and years and years, that you've known the Lord, you've been in the Word, you've studied, you've had those types of experiences. So if, if we just did a cross-section in this room, most people, there's obviously some folks that are just younger in the faith that wouldn't, but if we just took a just took a meeting, there's people that have walked with the Lord. Gary, how long, how long have you been with the Lord, my brother? Oh, uh, I got saved in 1981. 1981. So do the math on that. That's a long time. You know, some of you younger folks weren't even alive in 1981. But you can just see, Brother John 316, how long have you been walking with the Lord? 1979. So you can just see, you know, 30 plus years people going to the Lord. So I, I say this and I write these things to you because you do know the truth. And so when you've walked with the Lord, when you've read the Word, not a lot of stuff sneaks up on you. You know what I'm saying? It, it really doesn't. I mean, you've you've heard things, you've experienced things, and you know you've had an exposure to the Word of God over time. So we're, we're talking about an environment not like that. And so, so tonight we're going to turn to First John chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-three this evening, and that's going to kind of set the tone for where we're going in our in our study in First John tonight. And here's what he said. He said, "I've not written to you because you don't know the truth." 
but because you do know it, and that there's no lie that's in the truth. He says in verse 22, he says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son, but whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. And he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Here's the qualification that he gave in this passage now. He said, I've written not to you because you don't know the truth. But he said, I'm writing to this because you qualify, because you do know it. I'm not talking to you because you're oblivious to what I'm saying. I got something. But he said, I'm telling you because there's no lie in the truth. Here's a paraphrase for you. He said, the message that I'm sending you in this letter is not intended to come to you as some new revelation. I'm not trying to offer you some type of introduction into the expectations associated with being a faithful follower of Christ. The information that's contained within this letter that I'm sending you is being sent to people who are without excuse. You have been taught the rudimentary precepts of being born again. You're a believer, and there's an accompanying responsibility that's associated with that knowledge to walk in accordance with it. And so what I'm saying to you in this letter seems to be foreign to you in regards to the expectation for the believer to walk in righteousness. And really, the only explanation is that you're a liar about being a believer to start with. And you're or you're just simply making excuses to cover up your willful disobedience. That's what he's saying. He says, listen, I'm telling you something, not because you don't know the truth. It's kind of like as a parent, we tell our kids, we're like, listen, you know not to do that. I've told you how many times I've told you. If I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times not to do that. So, no, you, you, didn't, you can't say, well, I didn't know. Now, how many of y'all have ever had your kid one time or another when they were little say, well, I didn't know? Well, how could you not know? I've, I've worn myself out. I said I feel like a broken record. You know, you say stuff like that. I've, I've told you time and time again, don't do that. Don't. Why are you doing it? I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm not telling you that because you don't know. I'm telling you that because I told you, but you don't see the button to push every time you do it to play back the message. And so that's what John said. He said, listen, I'm telling you something. The qualification is because you do know. The qualification for receiving this to begin with is not for some new revelation it's to give you that aha moment. But to bring you back to remembrance of those things that have been invested in you for years and years and years. That same apostle said this in the Gospel of John 8.32, and you know this well. He said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It'll make you free. He said, you'll what? You'll know. Here's what's interesting about know. You know, we, we know something. It means to have knowledge of something. Uh, another rendering of that means to be intimate with, but that's not the same rendering here. It means to have knowledge of something as a result of personal and firsthand experience. And so we talk about knowing the Lord. Well, I know a lot of people, I meet a lot of people that claim to know the Lord, but really what they mean is they know about the Lord. They've heard that name, they've used it plenty of times, most of the time in vain, or as a byword. But there's a lot of people that know about the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. It's kind of like the people that we meet many times out on the streets, they say, well, well, I know the Bible. Well, no, you don't know the Bible. Because if you knew it, you wouldn't be acting the way you're acting. Because you realize that not only does it have promises, but there's consequences to disobeying that word. I don't know how many times I've heard him come up to me and say, well, I, I know that Bible better than you do. And I'm like, I'm telling you, you really don't. I'm not trying to do anything but just be honest with you. There is no way you do. Because the things that you're doing, if, if you think you know, like I, my, my knees would be buckling underneath me for the fear that I'd be standing in the judgment seat of God. And so the people know about it. They have a, they, they, they've been introduced to it, but no knowledge. But he's saying, listen, I'm telling you, you have a working knowledge based upon personal experience. How many of you have had a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. And you know what? You don't need anybody to convince you. Once you've come face to face with him, you know, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. We got 
Brother Dave back here. Brother, I call him Dave Brazil because he's a missionary to Brazil, and he claims to have a Brazilian wife. Now, I've never seen her. <laughs> never seen, seen a picture of her. Just like I seen a picture of blue-eyed Jesus on that family Bible back when I was a kid. You know what? And there wasn't any proof. But, you know, he claims, amen, that he has a wife somewhere in the Amazon of Brazil. Now, is that not convenient or what? He couldn't have a wife in Lafayette or up in Ruston or anything like that. He's got to have a wife that is in the Amazon. Okay? Now, he's thoroughly convinced that she exists. Why? Because he has something I don't have. He has personal experience. He has a personal relationship with her. So it don't matter. I can say, Dave, come on, brother, just level with me. Tell me, brother, I know you're lonely, so you know you got a footprint of your imagination. I can say that. I can say, brother, I've seen that picture. That so looks photoshopped. She's way too pretty for me. I can say all those things. But the fact of the matter is, it wouldn't matter what I said. I said, where is she? Show me proof. Give me something from her. He couldn't even produce a hair follicle off of her head. But you know what he has? He has something more real than that. He has a personal, personal encounter, a personal firsthand relationship with her. So it's not like somebody coming to you and say, well, prove that there's a God. Well, you know what? Well, where's your God? Well, he's not in hiding out in the jungles of the Amazon, wondering where you know uh, her, her missionary husband's at. Well, he's sitting up on the throne of glory. And so I don't need to prove that there's a God. I don't need to prove any of those things. I don't need to, to prove by saying, you know, certain layers produced in the strata because of the... I don't have to prove all that stuff. The heavens declare his glory. The very fact that I'm here, that I've been changed and transformed based upon a relationship with him, gives me first-hand knowledge that I don't care what you can produce. You can say whatever you want to and say God wasn't there for you. I'm saying, well, I'm sorry, tough luck for you, because he was there for me. And so if he's not the God of anybody else, he's the God of Troy Bond. And if it's just me and him for eternity, I'm going to be dancing and tickled to death. You know what? You just missed out on that firsthand relationship. Can I get an amen from the Dave Brazil section over here? Amen. But you know what I'm saying? So he was telling them, listen, I'm telling you, if you know him, if you have a personal relationship, what's going to happen? He's going to set you free. And to be free means to be liberated. So he's liberated. He can say, well, you know, Pastor Troy's just giving me a hard time. But you know what? That's okay. Because I've been liberated. I, I know whom I believed. I know who my wife is. I know who that relationship with. But it also means to remove all restrictions or to eliminate any excuse or any hindrance. And so when I come to the place that I know him intimately, when I got a personal relationship with him, what does it do? It eliminates all my excuses. And so I don't have any excuses for anything that I say, anything that I can do. I can't say, well, I didn't know. Why? Because I know him. I know the expectation. I, I may not know the address of every verse, but I know him. I might not be able to quote with some, 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 some eloquent King James vernacular, but, but I know him. I may not know all the reasons behind everything, but I know him. And there's somebody in my heart that's always convicting me, drawing me towards him. I know him. So it removes all the hindrances. It removes all of those restrictions that would otherwise be there. So you know what I'm talking about. Why do you know what I'm talking about? Because you know him too. And so you know you can put your fingers in your ear and go la 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 and try to ignore him when he's talking to you, but you know him. 
And so when you get off kilter, when you get off track, what's he always doing? He's always putting. You don't need no preacher to tell you that. You don't need anybody else telling you that. Why? Because there is somebody inside of you that's dealing with you, that he's convicting you, that he's caught you just like a kid with his hand in the cookie jar. He's speaking to you, and he's always pushing you in that same place. And so when we know him, what does he do? He makes us to exist without any hindrances, without any excuses. So when you come to the knowledge of the truth or the knowledge of something, then you've been liberated or free from acting as though you're oblivious to that knowledge. Listen, I, I don't have any excuses. I can't suddenly say, well, you know what? I can go back into the world. Well, if it was so good to begin with, I'd have stayed there the first time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so when people just have this pattern, this ebb and flow of serving God and backside, I think, what on earth are you putting yourself through that again? Because you know you're going to have to come back and stay because there's nothing back there for you, period. Why? Well, because I know him. I don't just know about him. I just didn't go through the motions of, of getting baptized or getting my name on a roll or going through first communion or, or confirmation or whatever the other sacraments were or whatever it happened to be in my particular experience. But I know him. And so I'm free from all those hindrances and keep us from that. So we're free from excuses, which would include ignorance. I, I didn't know. Well, you know him. We're free from blaming somebody else. Anybody ever, honestly, don't let me look around at anybody. Anybody ever blame somebody else for your struggles when you walk with the Lord? If such and such would have only done this. If that, if, if, if that church wouldn't have done this, then, then I wouldn't find myself in that place. Folks, I tell you what, there, there's no brick-and-mortar building or organization that saved me. Not a single one of them hung up on a cross 2,000 years ago to do anything for me. You know what? It wasn't somebody's pat on the back. It wasn't somebody's attaboy or amen that redeemed me. It's not those things that are going to keep me. It's not the fellowship. As I love the fellowship of the brothers, but you know what? If I didn't have any, if I was uh, living in some igloo surrounded by penguins and, and, and polar bears, you know what? At the end of the day, I'd still have to pay homage and give my, my, my obedience to him. And so I don't have those. I can't blame anybody else. I couldn't say, well, if mom and daddy would have raised me a little bit different or whatever else. Well, if my mom and dad struggled with alcoholism for years and years. So could, do I have those excuses? No, praise God. I've never been an alcoholic. I never drank. I never tried drugs. I can say I had family, but I could blame somebody for that. But you know what? Praise God, I don't have to say that. Praise God, mom and daddy ain't alcoholics anymore. They got saved too. But see, we can always cast those things up. But once I know the truth, truth brings freedom into my life. And so John 15, 32 says this. He said, if I had not come in and spoken to them, then they would not have been guilty of sin. He said, but now, listen guys, we don't have any excuse for sin. I don't have any excuses for sin. Why? Because he's already come and spoken to me. Now, we're looking at this letter, this epistle that was written to this church. All those things happening, he wrote in the Gospel of John. And 60 years later, he says this. He said, I'm not writing to you because you had no foreknowledge of these things, these principles. He said, so listen, before we even get started, don't even try that on me. That's what John was saying. He said, listen, I'm telling you, I, 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 for 60 years, this stuff has been going around. There's been a foundation that's laid upon your life. I can say the same. I can look back in this back corner and see Pastor Joe Gonzalez and say, buddy, listen, I was there the day you got saved. I know what God delivered you from. I know what's been invested in your life. So as a result of that, I have an expectation on your life and for your life based upon what I know you know. So you can say that when you, when you know exactly where they've come from. And so all that little nonsense, all those things that somebody else may try to pull, uh -uh, you ain't going to pull that. 
because homie does not play because I know exactly you know. So you're, if you do it, you're going to do it with knowledge contrary to the principles that you've been taught through the Word of God. Right? Aren't you glad when you know that you don't have those excuses anymore? And so he said, don't even try that on I me. Mean, he said, you've been exposed to these truths for decades, but now you've adopted things that simply are trying to make provisions for your compromise. That's what it is. And so what do we have to do? We have to abandon. We have to act like we suddenly just lost our mind. I don't know what happened to me. Are you still serving the Lord? I serve the Lord. I don't know what happened to me. No, you know exactly what happened. You hardened your heart. You begin to resist him. You begin to push yourself back. You begin to get calloused in that. And you begin to act like it was somebody else's problem. So i got some questions for you now. Who here tonight doesn't know the importance of a consistent prayer life? Anybody think, you know, I, I, I didn't know prayer was important. <laughs> Anybody think that? Hurry, everybody's looking. We're going to get them. <laughs> How many of you here tonight know the value that don't think it's important to study God's Word? Anybody thinking, really? I didn't know that. Who here tonight thinks it's unimportant to have fellowship with unbelievers? Caprice? He's joking. <laughs> <laughs> Who here thinks God's okay with Christians living a wicked life? Anybody think that God's like, oh, you know what? I understand. Anybody think that? Nobody? Yeah. Who here tonight thinks that there's no need to be obedient to God's Word? Now, he's okay with that. He just wrote, that's the book of suggestions. He really meant. Do you think that? Who here thinks that the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God? That there's going to be a bunch of drunkards that say, you know what? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Hallelujah. Anybody think that's going to happen? You never know. Who here doesn't know the importance of giving worship to God and worshiping with all your heart? Anybody not know that? Okay. Who here doesn't know that God loves a cheerful giver? Anybody know that? I have to throw that in just mess with people. <laughs> hey, pass the plate, Pastor Sam. I ask those questions because all of that stuff is so obvious to us, isn't it? Everybody is just totally obvious. If we're just asked the question, did I? We have to answer yes or no. It's so obvious. So if I teach for the Word of God on the subject of praying, you're not going to be freaked out, right? What's he mean, pray? So if I talked about studying the Word, you're not going to just think that I've gone off on a tangent. Man, how can you believe it? Somebody else is supposed to study work for me, and I'm just supposed to draw a promise card out once a day and give me a little fortune cookie Jesus. And just... Now, you don't believe that. So if I talk about walking in holiness, you're not going to think that I've adopted some strange concept. If I talk about that we support the work of the ministry, you're not going to think that I'm crazy for that, right? Why? Because these things should be elementary to anyone that's been in the gospel for any length of time. But you know, that's just elementary teachings, not something we need to, to work over time and time again. But he, went, he said, in that same passage, he said there is no lie in the truth. And so, I can't have truth and have it infiltrated and synonymous with a lie. If it's the truth, what is it? It's the truth. If it's a lie, what is it? It's a lie. There aren't any half-truths. Right? It's either the truth or it's a lie. He said there is no lie in the truth. And so a lie literally means no falsehood, no untruth, nothing that is contrary, not something other than what it professes to be. And so if I say I'm one thing, but I'm living another thing, that's not the truth. And so there's, and honestly, this is what's interesting as well. That word also means no false religion. So when he says it's a lie, it says there's no false religion. How many you know there's true religion and there's false religion? 
But they both call themselves religion. And so all of that is really an echo of what we saw when he's in 1 John 1, 6, where he said, if you claim to have fellowship with Jesus, but you walk in darkness or sin, he said that you're a liar because those things are incompatible with one another. And so when somebody tells me, and you say, hey, how you doing with the Lord? Well, I'm saved. What do you say from? Uh, sin. Well, they're half drunk and they're living in immorality. I'm thinking, It'd be like me seeing a guy struggling out in the, the water and on the on the beach and, and yelling at him, saying, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I just got saved from drowning. Well, why do you got three fingers poken out of the surface of the water? Well, because the lifeguard swam out here and patted me on the head and swam back up to the station. Folks, Jesus didn't swim out to rescue us from sinking in sin to allow us to keep struggling in the waves. We're either saved from sin or we're not. There's no lie in the truth. I'm either born again or I'm not born again. I'm either walking in righteousness or I'm not walking in righteousness. Man, isn't all this serving Jesus stuff real simple? We don't have to think, okay, what is it? It's very elementary. And so here's a good question for you. How many married men or, or women, for that matter, it applies to either one of us, would put up with your spouse moving another boyfriend or girlfriend into your house? Now stop right there. <laughs> Janet, Ronnie shows up one day and says, baby, you know what? We've been married all these years. But you know what? Man, I was over such and such, and I met this old gal, and you know, I'm thinking about moving her into that spare bedroom. Now, Sister Janet over here, she's got that beautiful snow white hair. But I'm sure her face would turn blood red and that hair would stand up on the end. And Ronnie wouldn't have any more hair. <laughs> you wouldn't go for that, would you? <laughs> yeah, he used to have a lot more hair than he does now. Praise God for that. Now, you wouldn't like that. So what if, what if they said, well, listen, let me tell you something. It's only going to be for a short amount of time, just on weekends. Would that soften the blow in you? You, you wouldn't think that, Deanna? Pastor Jamie said, hey, Deanna, you know what? Man, these kids are driving me crazy. i got to bring somebody else over the house to kind of... You wouldn't go for that, even if it was on weekends or just holidays or Christmas, Easter, and Thanksgiving. You wouldn't go for that, would you? Uh, what if they said, well, it really, it's not going to involve any type of actual intimacy or sexual relations. Well, if they said, it's not going to do that. It's just, you know, it's just going to be some, some, maybe some snuggling or some companionship. You going to go for that? Now, none of those things are making the situation any better, are they? Because... There's no lie in the truth. Okay, what if that person had some good qualities? Gary said, honey, listen, but man, I tell you what, they can cook. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> she looked over and said, I'm going to cook you here tonight. <laughs> now, what if they had a friendly dis disposition and you met them? Hey, well, they're pretty friendly. You know what? They're good conversationalists or they like to play Catan or whatever the game you like there. <laughs> Uh-oh, just make somebody stumble. What if they did the housework? Well, honey, they like to clean. Some of y'all go, hmm. Well, they're going to pay the rent, and you know what? They said they'd help out the utilities. Now, people go, home, but you know what? As soon as they showed up at your door, I'd pay this. It's not going to happen, is it? Now, none of those things would change anything, Right? You still wouldn't be open to that relationship. Well, why is that? Because regardless of how nice they seem, regardless of how much they attempted to flatter or uh, contribute, they would still be in violation of a covenant. Right? Period. They'd be in violation of a covenant that has no room whatsoever for a third party. 
Would you agree? Period. You would agree that, listen, those that person does not belong in this relationship. No matter how clean they are, no matter how, how good they cook, no matter what they say, they're friendly. Just, they're just unflat. It's not going to happen. They can't do anything to make it okay. So I ask you all that. Why? Because there's not a single person here who says, no, I ain't. You know who that person is? Nobody's going to say that. So if we would be unwilling to invite a good-natured and contributing person of the other sex into our marriage covenant, because we wouldn't be willing to do that, we don't care how sweet or how nice they are, then why? i got a question for you. You know, I'm slow sometimes, but I'm worth waiting on. Why would we say stuff like this? You know what, brother? We just need to chew up the grass and spit out the sticks when we hear bad or false teaching. You've heard that, haven't you? Oh, you know what? I know that they're not all the way right, but we just need to chew up the grass and spit out the sticks. Now, you're going to walk up to your husband and say, Honey, you know what? I'm going to bring this guy in. I know there's some bad things about this guy. And, you know, he's violating the marriage covenant, but we just need to chew up the grass and spit out the sticks. He's, he's bringing a lot. He mows that grass or she cooks those. We would never do that, would we? And so we'll put an adulterer out on their tail end because we don't agree with that, but we'll embrace the false teaching. Why? Because it helps pay the rent. It tickles our fancy. It makes us feel better. And it tells us we can have a best life. And all those other nice little things, you can smile through the pearly whites. And we won't put that stuff out. See, that's what John was confronting in the first century on one level. And that's what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is confronting now. We've invited this third-party teaching that's a doctrine of devils. In the Galatians letter, Paul said, listen, if anybody comes... And they preach any other gospel that you've heard me preach. He said, I don't care if it's me telling you this. I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. He said, you let them be accursed. He said, it's another, he said, it's not even really another bit of good news. He said, you let them be accursed. In other words, you put them out on their behind. There's no chewing up the grass or trying to glean from, 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 from a piece of the rotten apple. He said, you just throw that stuff out in a heap. So, we see those things. We see that false teaching that's filling up stadiums and worship uh, stadium-sized worship centers and comes on our television sets, and they, they teach all these things that are antichrist, and it becomes so hard to distinguish that thing from the New Age movement. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, this, this guy may be a hero. I'm not, once again, I'm not, uh, I'm not running for office or anything, so I can say stuff like this. Uh, I just noticed where T.T. Jakes has uh, Oprah Winfrey, who's a total New Age who denies the that Jesus is the way. He has her speaking at his mega fest this October. Wow. We got Christians, man, that run up the TV for TDJ, woman, that you know, we'll just flock to that type of thing because it's TDJ. We'll embrace all that stuff because what he can he can preach, he can talk about how great God is, and all these types. But he's willing to put a new age person on his pulpit. And we're willing to embrace that. Folks, what's happened to us? What's happened to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that we'll let that vile mixture come into our hearts and lives and we're not going to put that stuff out? He's also, I noticed on their agenda, because when I heard that, I looked it up. He's also got a guy by the name of Kenneth Babyface Edmonds. I guess he's a, 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 somebody called Babyface. He's a, he's a secular artist that puts out this raunchy music and uh, he does all these things and he's going to be on the on the on the agenda, speaking at this October's Mega Fest. 
Not to mention, he's also got uh, Joe. I'm not so sure whether Hindus go to heaven or not. Uh, Osteen's going to be speaking there. And so you see all of this stuff that's brought in, and we'll just chew up the grass and spit out the sticks. Folks, that's exactly what John was addressing right here in the second chapter. He said, listen, I want to tell you something. That stuff's coming in, and it's painting itself a real pretty picture. It's telling you how compatible it would be with your household. It's telling you that it's okay. It's not too bad. You just got to take a little of the, you got to take the bad with the good and, and just kind of dis discern what's good and evil. Folks, that's not what the scripture teaches. Many Christians will acknowledge Oprah's an antichrist, but they'll keep turning into Bishop Jakes because he motivates them and he makes them feel good. But evidently, he's okay with what she's teaching. Otherwise, he wouldn't promote somebody at an event to Christianity. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14, 15, and jump into 17. He said this. He said, do not team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Therefore, come out from among those unbelievers. Separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't even touch their filthy things, and I'll welcome you. Now, is that a high standard? Yes. Absolutely, it's a high standard. But it's a high standard that's only been equaled by what Christ Jesus did up on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. He did. He set that standard high. And he said, if I'm lifted up, he said, then I'll draw men to I'll tell you what, folks. We can't diminish the work of the cross and just make it a pendant hanging around our neck or, 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 or some sacrament or some uh, uh, Christian calisthenics. What is it going to cost you? He said, if any man wants to be my disciple, my follower, want to be a genuine believer, he said, here's what you've got to do. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross, the implement of that thing that's going to take you down, and you've got to imitate me. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, or plan B is this. Just do something good enough and chew up the sticks and spit out the grass. First John 2.21, again, he said, I have not written you not because you do not know, but because you do know it, because you do know it, because you're without excuse, and there is no lie in the truth. Folks, you cannot match good and evil, truth with a lie, and have the audacity to think that God's okay with it. Right. We just can't do it. Now, if you want to do it, you can do it, but be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He said, don't embrace it. Don't make excuses for it. Don't entertain it. Don't simply try to ignore it. He said, you've heard, we talked about this two weeks ago, that Antichrist is coming, but there are already many Antichrists that come in. How do they come in? Folks, like I said before, they don't come in with 666 carved across their head or a pentagram around their neck. Why? Because, man, we wouldn't want any of that. What do they come in doing? Well, they come in talking about like the New Age gurus and all these other things, talking about how we can have this, this great life now rather than a great death now and dying to self. And all these things that can pr promote the flesh. Rather than those things that cause us to decrease, that Jesus Christ might increase. Now, this is what John and me, obviously, they was driving home. He's telling them that this was, A, nothing new. Listen, tell you that what I'm telling you is nothing new. And B, that they cannot mix truth and error together. In verse 22, he said this, who's a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Who, who is a liar? But those that deny who Jesus is, Period. 
that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the anointed one. He is that one that's set apart. He's that one that there's no equal, there's no predecessor, there's nobody but him. He's the Lord God, and above him there is none else. He said, if you deny that, he said he's an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son, verse 23, does not have the Father either. But he acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Folks, you guys that have been around, I'm telling you this because you know it. Every false teaching will attempt to strike at the person of Christ and diminish who he is. Right. They'll want to deify man, put man in a position that's only reserved for God, and they'll want, to, uh, they'll want to humanize God. They want a God that looks just like it. You would not believe the times of the month somebody says, well, the God I serve wouldn't do that. And I say, absolutely not. The God you serve is just a big compromiser Jew. He's just a big liar. He's just as perverse. You're absolutely right. The God that you serve is a God that you've built with your own hands, your own will, your own sin, your own perversion, because he looks just like you. He's the same God that they wanted to build right there at the mountain when they said, we don't know where Moses is at. We don't know why he's delayed coming. And they go to Aaron. They go to the religious leader. There was, there was a jellyfish. It was spineless. And they said, make us a God that we can follow. No, you make me a God that I can't follow. Make me a God that has set the standard so high that I don't have the ability to follow him outside the spirit of God changing and transforming me. If there's a God that tread by and his flesh can follow, I tell you what, it's a God that I've made after my own image. It's not a God that's the express image of God. It's not a God that holds the universe in his hand. It's not a God that speaks and thinks, hey, that's not the God. Make me a God that even of myself, the flesh that, that has no good thing, the, the, the thing that's in my life that needs redemption, make one that is so big, so righteous, and so holy that it took that substitutionary death upon the cross and the infilling of the Holy Spirit to even enable me to be able to say, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. That's the kind of God that I want, and that's the God that's seated upon the throne of glory, and that's not God that's going to spit up the, uh, the, the spit out the sticks and chew up the grass. That's a God who's holy, and he says, be holy as I'm holy. Now, folks, they don't fill up the coffers. They don't get you gold rings. They don't do all of those things to put you in stretch limousines. But I tell you what, upon the day of judgment, when you stand before him, I tell you what, you don't have to be naked and ashamed. He's not going to say you laid up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and dust corrupted and thieves broke through and steal. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You laid up treasures for yourself in heaven where no, no moth, no dust corrupted, where thieves couldn't break through and steal them. Where no making a, a, a concessions for the flesh was able to come in. Why? Because you were not of this world. Why? Because you served a God that you couldn't follow apart from faith and the finished work of the cross of Calvary. But every false teaching will attempt to strike at the person of Christ. They'll try to diminish and nullify the fact that he is God. He's who? He is God come in the flesh. And those that believe upon him are the only ones that are going to have salvation. Folks, listen. If we eliminate the Son and who he is, we eliminate salvation. Period. If we eliminate the Christ in him, we eliminate the finished work of the cross. If we eliminate the cross, we've eliminated the cure for everything that ails every single one of us. That's what we've done. We've eliminated the power to be changed and transformed. So regardless of what form that denial takes, the Word of God describes it as the spirit of Antichrist. And so even if it takes the form of some pagans putting, uh, 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 burning, uh, burning incense and killing chickens in the middle of Jackson Square, or it takes the form of somebody just saying, well, I'm a good guy. 
You know what? Everybody's got to do their own thing. We're just, we, we've got to be uh, a universalist. It don't, it don't matter what form that denial takes. But if it says anything, but Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. And there's any way to the Father except by him. It's still operating in the spirit of Antichrist. Folks, among religious leaders that retain large followings throughout history, we've seen it. But the word says that Jesus Christ is unique in the fact that he's the only one alone that claimed to be God in the flesh. You know what? There's all these people that will teach, well, you know what? Jesus never did claim to actually be God. What Bible are they reading? Well, he never did come out and say that he was God. Well, I'm glad that they thought that because I'm about to show you something. It's a misconception that I believe has slipped in so people think these type of things, but you know what? No other religious leader did make that claim. Buddha didn't claim to be God. Never did. He just claimed to be first in line for the buffet. Even that meat guy, Moses, he didn't claim to be God. He never said that you know he was Yahweh. He never said that. Muhammad didn't identify himself as Allah. Did he? Isn't that right? Muhammad didn't do it. Zoroaster didn't claim to be the Ahura Mazda. He didn't do that. He's like, who on earth is that? Well, praise God you don't know. But Jesus, that carpenter from Nazareth, said that he who has seen him has seen the Father. That's John 14 and 9. The same one that taught this. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he was saying, listen, the Father and I we're one. The claims of Christ, here we see, we see in John 8.58, he said that he existed before Abraham. In John 5.17 and 18, he said that he was equal with the Father. He claimed the ability to forgive sin in Mark 2, 5 through 7, which the Bible says in Isaiah 43.25 that there's only one that can do that, forgive sin. That's God. The New Testament equated Jesus as the creator of the universe. That's John 1, 3. And he's the one who holds everything together, together Colossians 1, 17. The Apostle Paul says that God was manifested in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3, 16. And John the Evangelist says that the word was God, John 1 and 1. And so, folks, we see a united testimony of all the writers of the New Testament that said one thing. Confirmed one thing. What was that? That Jesus Christ was God. He wasn't a God as the Jehovah Witnesses taught. He wasn't one of many celestial people that attained Godhood like the Mormons. He wasn't those things. He wasn't the, the, the prophet of God like the like the, 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 the Muslims. He wasn't those things. He was God made flesh. Now, folks, I, I was thinking about this. Millie and I this afternoon went and had lunch and I, just wrote a couple things. Because he's God, you know what that means? That God has certain characteristics that do not change. Now, you've heard the word immutability. You know what being immutable means? It means it never changes. And so, he's immutable in essence. You can write this down. This is what God is. And so, that would mean that Jesus was the same thing. In other words, he's never evolved, he's never grown, and he's never improved. He is immutable. He never changes. He says in, in, in Malachi 3, he says, I am the Lord God. What? I do not change. I'm Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the one that was before Abraham is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. The one that we see in Revelation chapter 19, I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse, and he that was seated upon it is called Faithful and True. Same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. Now hear that, hear that, because you're going to need to know that in just a second. So he was immutable in essence. In other words, he never evolved, he's never grown, he's never improved, but he's also immutable in attributes. In other words, his power is, is unabated, his wisdom is undiminished, and his holiness is unsullied. His power is unabated, it never changes, he always has all power. All power in heaven and earth has been given to me, all power. His wisdom is undiminished, he knows everything, his holiness is unsullied. He's also immutable in counsel. In other words, his will never changes. Now, folks, why is it so important for us church folks? Because I know people, I tell you what, the, the will of God for their life changes just like a, a, a flat tire. You'll talk to them and say, hey, what's God telling them? God just finally revealed his will to me. Well, what is it? Well, he told me to do such and such. Next time you see him, hey, what's going on? How's that going? Oh, you know what? Man, it's just amazing. God changed his will. You know who's guilty of that more than anybody preachers? Yeah. Uh, being a preacher, I can say this because we want, well, one suffers well. Preachers are some of the lightest folks I've ever been around in my life. They really are. But they got these magic, tricky words they use for the place of a lie. And so what they'll do is when they, 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 they stayed up late watching that college football game on Saturday night and didn't get to go on the face before the Lord, they'll get in church and say, man, I was going to preach this message, but the Lord changed it at the last moment. <laughs> Some of you ain't even full-time preachers. You've done the exact same thing. The Lord changed it at the last moment. He didn't change nothing. You just had to go to your go-to message because you didn't spend the time getting a fresh revelation. Yeah, I, I can pull the curtain back on that stuff because I know how it works. Amen? Been there, done that, repented. Praise God. And so we'll say God changed his will or, or, there's, or the Spirit moved. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. It's funny when the Spirit moves. You know what? We just we close that Bible up. Oh, the Spirit moved. He don't want, he's the Spirit of truth. He'll lead and guide you into all truth. Not he'll lead and guide you into, and guide you into just to sobbing around. Why? It's the truth that makes us free. So preachers are some lying folks. Yeah, I believe God can do that. Yeah, but God, you don't, here's the thing about God. God doesn't have to wait till the last minute to change his mind because he's immutable. And so the same God that spoke today was already speaking last Monday. And so he's not going to say, I'm going to mess with Pastor Troy today. <laughs> What's this? Holy Ghost, what's this? Well, I'm going to have him spend all this time seeking me and studying the word. And, and taking all that time in the last minute, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, you get to do that. I'm going to waste all his time. Yeah, we say stuff like that, but we never think about it in those terms. Like God is, is some strange, wicked taskmaster that's about wasting time. No, God can speak to me if I'm listening, and God's not going to change. It's us that want to change the immutability of God to fit our will and the fact that we're really not seeking many times the way we ought to. So I throw that in there. They don't, they don't charge any extra for that one. So he existed before Adam, all these things. His testimony was united. But folks, his friends just didn't notice. But think about this in relationship to God. His enemies noticed that his message was different too. Now, why do I say that? Well, some may have doubted among the skeptics, but, you know, they, they refused to see the evidence that he was God. But there was no doubt among the Jewish authorities 
that he claimed to be God. Period. Why do I say that? Well, Jesus, when they wanted to stone him, he replied, for, for good work we do not stone you, they said, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. That's John 10, 32, the same guy. In other words, his authorities knew that this guy was walking around claiming to be God. And so there was no guesswork that this person that came claimed to be God. So that fact separates Jesus from any other religious figure. All the religious, major religions in the world, the teachings, not the teacher, were the things that are important. The thing that made Jesus different is that the teacher was the important one. Now, Confucianism, you've heard of Confucianism? Confucius says, well, Confucius is just a set of teaching. Confucius is not important, right? Islam, Islam is the revelation of Allah. It's not so much about Muhammad just being the prophet. Buddhism emphasizes the principles of Buddha and not Buddha himself. And so take Hinduism. You know, Hinduism, there's really no historic figure for that. They've got 3,000 gods. It's just all about their teachings and all these things. And so the center of Christianity is always the person of Christ Jesus. Jesus didn't just claim to be the teaching for that truth. He claimed to be the truth. John 14 and 6. He didn't say, I've come to tell you a great truth. He came and showed up. He said, I'm telling you that I'm the truth. So if you know me, you can get to the Father. There's no way to the Father except through truth. I don't teach truth. I am truth revealed to you. And so when John is addressing them some 60 years later in this epistle, he said, listen, if somebody's coming, they're trying to diminish who Jesus Christ was, that he was just a guy that was handpicked to deliver the message. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Certainly his truth, but the truth is something that flows out of who he is, not something that he just represents from somebody else. Jesus, what Jesus taught is not the most important aspect of Christianity, but what's important is who Jesus was. Because there would be no power in what he taught had he not been who he was. Who was he? He was the Son of God. He's the only way that a person can reach God. And this claim is the claim he made for himself. Let me give you an example. Say, for instance, the President of the United States, I, and I'm, anybody knows me, I, I honestly, uh, you, you may have stoned me, I don't even vote for these people anymore. Amen. I'm not responsible for none of those folks. You're going to see none of their bumper stickers on my car. I don't even want their free phone. Can I get a witness? <laughs> but what if the President of the United States appeared on television, all the major networks, and he said, I am the Almighty God. What if he said that? And I have the power to forgive sin. I have the authority to lay my life down and raise it back up again. Now, folks, here's the thing. I, I have to believe this. I'd have to think that our, crazy, our country is so crazy. But I would think if President Obama got up on television, some of you may think he's already done this. I don't know. And he said, I want to let you guys know that I'm the almighty God. I'm the creator of the universe. And I can put my life down and raise it up again. What would people say about him? Whether, which side of the aisle you're on? They would say, he has lost his cotton-picking mind. We thought Obamacare was bad. But this guy has taken it to another level. Wouldn't people say that? They, they would. They would say the guy, they would take him out of office. They would, they would, they would shut the air off. They would, he would be led away. He'd be put in a straitjacket. And we'd have a new president. If they would be Joseph Biden. <laughs> and 30 minutes later, he'd be in a straitjacket. Amen. Or we would. Now I'm getting political. Because here's the thing, folks. Anybody who would dare to make such a claims would have to be out of his mind 
and a liar. Unless he really was God. You think about that? You have to be out of your mind or just a bold-faced liar unless you were really God. And so Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, God made flesh, shows up on the scene, and he says, I'm God. Now, they didn't put him in a straitjacket. They didn't do those things. Why? Because there was something about him that testified to the truth. He just didn't say, I walk in power and not deliver. He raised the dead. He opened the blinded eyes. He caused the deafened ears to be opened. He walked on water. And so if anybody ever showed up on the scene that could deliver upon a statement like that, it was Jesus Christ who was God. And that was the case for him. He clearly claimed all those things and more. If he is God, as he claimed, we must believe upon him. But if he's not, we should have nothing to do with him at all because he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He claimed to be God, so why would anybody believe it? Because just merely claiming something doesn't make it true, does it? There's got to be evidence that he was God. Well, the Bible gives those things, includes the miracles that we mentioned, the prophecies, and all those things that convinced us to say who he was, John 20, 30, and 31. But the main reason was the thing he said himself. He said he's going to demonstrate it by being raised from the dead. And so when they asked him for a sign, the religious leader, he said what? He said, just like Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the well, so the Son of Man will be three days and nights in the heart of the earth, Matthew 12 and 30. So what did he do? He died. They saw it in a public place. He wasn't behind closed doors. He wasn't strapped into, a, into an electric chair in some out-of-the-way prison. He was put upon Golgotha's hill. He was led by, 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 by that way, hung upon that cross publicly. He died between two thieves. He was laid in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, he rose again from the dead. Over 500 witnesses saw him. They saw him die, and they saw him alive. Most of those people didn't even believe it. You see even the, even the historical writings of people like Josephus, they talk about this, these type of things. And so the ability to raise his own life from the dead was the sign that separates him not only from all of the religious leaders, but from anybody else that's ever lived. That's who he is, and he said he was. So anybody that wants to refute the case for Christ, who he is, must explain away the story of the resurrection. Therefore, according to the Bible, Jesus proves to be the Son of God by coming back from the dead, Romans 1.4. And the evidence is overwhelming what Jesus did from the grave. It's the fact that it proves that he is God. Folks, here's what's important. It says in Matthew 1.23, the virgin will conceive the child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him, why? Emmanuel. They're going to say that this is God that showed up with us. Now, we can't deny that. Anybody that denies that is of the Antichrist. So if God is with us, then we see his attributes, and he alone is God. But what if I said something like this? Sift an alarm goes off or not? What if I said that man was created on equal terms with God? He could stand in God's presence with not feeling a bit inferior. God made man as much like himself as possible. That we exist, we're the same class of being as he is. We lived in the realm of God, and we lived on terms equal with God. The believers, the, the believers also Christ. That's who we are. We're Christ. If I stood up here saying stuff like that, what do you think about me? Okay. What, if I, what if I added this? 
God's reason for creating Adam was his desire to reproduce himself. Adam wasn't just like a little like God. He was not almost like God. He was not even subordinate to God. Did you think I saw a face on that? Well, y'all are getting nervous. What if I added this? You don't have a God in you. You are one. What do you think about that? What if I said Adam was a copy? He looked exactly like God. If you stood Adam next to God, they looked exactly alike. If you stood Jesus and Adam side by side, they'd look alike and they would sound alike. You think, where do I get that stuff? Well, I'm just quoting uh, Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagin. That's what these guys say. Now, if somebody comes preaching another gospel, I don't care what television station are. I don't care who they are. What if I said I'm a little Messiah walking on earth? Well, my name would be Benny Hinn if I said that. <laughs> That's what he said. Now, folks, I, I can show you dozens and dozens of these quotes that say stuff like this, but what do we do? Well, they're popular, so you can't say anything. No, they're teaching doctrines of devil, and it's heresy, and it denies the Christ. And Troy Bond didn't write this book right here, but he said anybody comes and preaching denies who Christ Jesus is, period, by letting somebody else lay claim to his immutability and saying he changes, the Bible says that they are the spirit of Antichrist. I don't care how many crosses they got on their buildings. I don't care what kind of pendant they hang around their neck. I don't care what their popularity is. The Bible says different. Now, let me see if you... What you think about this? Then we'll close. The Spirit of God spoke to me. He said, son, realize this. Now follow me on this. Don't let your tradition trip you up. Think this way. A born-again man is who whipped Satan in his own domain. In, in his own domain. He said, I threw my Bible down. Just like I said, what? He said, God told me a born-again man defeated Satan. The firstborn of many brethren defeated him. He said, and you, my son, are the very image. You're a very copy. And he said, I said to God, well, you don't, you don't mean that you couldn't dare mean that. He said, yeah, I mean that. He said, if you'd have had the knowledge of the word of God that he did, you could have done the exact same thing on the cross. Well, that's your friend, Kenneth Copeland. Folks, what does that do? That changes who Jesus Christ is, totally. And so when they teach that Jesus didn't finish the work upon the cross that he had to be drugged to hell and suffer at the hands of Satan for three days. Folks, that's not Bible. That's called the Middle Ages Dante's Inferno. I challenge you, show me a verse of scripture that says that Satan has ever been in hell. Doesn't teach in the Bible. That's Carmen's video for the champion that came out in 1988. That's where you get that from. It's not in the Bible. He's called the prince and the power of the air. It's not his domain like Dante's Inferno said it was. One day he's going to be bound and he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. In the meantime, he, he goes around. He, he goes around deceiving people. He's going to be chained. That's not his little home away from home and his little, his little cabin in the woods. Folks, that's why we've got to be aware of these things because just as John said, Antichrist is coming, but many Antichrists are coming. And what you're going to see is they're going to get real close to us. Because they're going to bring a lot of grass. But when that stick points out and it begins to deny who Christ Jesus is, a deifying man and humanizing God, come out from among that stuff.
Don't even touch it. And he'll receive you. Amen. Let's pray.